Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. But why didn't you do it over 20, uh, in the no, last no, 25 wait, no, years? No, because you weren't president, you because you president screwing no, no, things no. up. You were a senator. And You're the, the worst way, you president vice, America has ever had. Hey, hey, Come Joe, on. Let me, let me just tell you, Joe, I've done more in... This Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J Bonus Interview is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it's Thursday, October 1st, 2020, October 1st. Headline in the New York Times, Trump escalates push to erode trust and vote. That was the headline on Thursday, October 1st of 2020. Trump escalates push to erode trust and vote. Every lefty, every liberal I know is losing his or her collective mind as they think that Donald Trump, Donald John Trump is going to what? Have a coup of some sorts to try to stay in office, even though it's pretty obvious to me uh, and it has been for a while that he is going to get clobbered at the polls in November, at least in the general vote. Uh, and anyway, uh, to discuss these and many other issues is my distinguished guests. And as I always do with distinguished guests on bonus time, I ask them to introduce themselves. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Uh, thanks for having me on, Ben. It's great to be with you and Dennis. It's Samina Mustafa. I'm host of Hand Draw the Mic and um, friend of the pod, as it were. <laughs> Yes, uh, Samina Mustafa is a friend of the pod. Uh, she was a friend of, of my radio show. Uh, she was a candidate for Congress, 5th Congressional. And she always, I think she's a little irritated. I always go, she's Chicago's AOC. No. Uh, uh, no <laughs> I always I, say that. No, it's it, like, uh, that is whatever. It's, I, it's, I take it as a compliment, but I also realize like people always need like, a sort of an example or something like, oh, you're like the thing. Um, I'm just Samina. That's, that's, that's All my right, very good. AOC's on my mind because, and I, I we're not going to talk about this, but I just want to say this. I'm going to have a show on this. The New Yorker magazine has an annual, I don't know if you saw this, Samina, they have an annual festival where they bring distinguished people to come in and talk and uh, this, that, the other thing. They're doing it virtually this year, obviously. Uh, and, but at the same time, they're in the midst of a negotiations with their union. I did uh, which see is, that. Yeah. yeah, the same union I'm in. Uh, and uh, the union asked the uh, AOC, who is, was a guest, and Elizabeth Warren, not to show up to uh, not effectively cross a virtual picket line. And in my humble opinion, to their credit, Elizabeth Warren and, and AOC said they're not going to show up, uh, even though this is a big deal for AOC. Well, for both of them. So a lot of love I'm feeling these days for Elizabeth Warren and AOC. And let's, let, let's, you know what, let's just start right there, Samina. Um, this is something we hadn't even planned to talk about, but I'm going to ask you anyway. In the debate that took place two days ago, we're going to get into the details of it. But what do you think it would have been like had Elizabeth Warren been on stage uh, with Donald Trump that night? What do you think? 
you know, she is obviously a very different style of debater than Joe Biden. <laughs> um, she is steelier, but she's not completely unflappable. So I think she she could have been, um, you know, Trump's M.O. is like people have been comparing it to an abusive relationship, to a petulant child. It was not, um, he was not interested in having a, a debate or a policy conversation. He was in a bullying, bullying mode. And so um, it, I think the fact that Chris Walsh failed miserably to kind of check him and seemed to be saying like, oh, I've got a question, Mr. President, that you're going to like, um, I think it would have, uh, you know, if perhaps if there was a, a different moderator, th things could have gone differently. But I think it would have any person who was trying to look presidential next to Donald Trump in that moment was going to have it was going to be challenged in doing so. Um, I think she would have handled herself a little bit stronger on some points, but I don't think it's a slam dunk by any. By Wait, any. Go, go into that. Uh, any person who was trying to look presidential would have I mean, you're, you're trying to look respectful, composed, and not say, like, the fact, okay, so one thing I will say, and a couple of people pointed this out, that, you know, Biden called him a clown, told him to shut up. Um, that would have been harder to do for a, a candidate, who, you know, a woman candidate, you know, a person of color, if it had been, you know, Cory Booker, Julian Castro, all, like in those scenarios, like, you know, Cory Booker would be the angry black man, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Barack Obama, angry black man, like all of those scenarios are different based on that because people will just, and, and that's what, look what happened when Julian Castro went, went up against um, Biden. He got um, like just viciously attacked. Um, and honestly, I feel like he's um, ended up being, uh, you know, one of the kind of the few candidates I feel like, you know, kind of got marginalized because of his identity. Um, so I think, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's, it's very hard. It's like, going back to the petulant child example, it's very hard to look stoic when you have got a kid wrapped around your leg. I mean, yeah. it's like, you know, screaming. Like, that's kind of what it looked like. Yeah, that is a great point. How would you have handled it if you, you were know, the candidate up there? Yeah, I mean, I think I am not afraid to clap back. Uh I think I would have probably been coached to not say things like shut up, but I think it would have been hard for me not to say shut up and, and to clap right back. I think I would have felt, you know, I think I, I would have been uh, prompted or provoked to, 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 to clap back and, and fight back. So I don't, I, I so I, I'm not saying that I would have handled it perfectly, but I, but that, that would have been my response. Yeah. I, uh, bully. Donald Trump is a bully. Yeah. Donald Trump is a bully. I, you know, part of me, uh, just listening to you right there, uh, part of me when it happened, uh, Samina thought that Joe Biden had prepared to say shut up. I know it sounds weird, but I, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago when Joe Biden was thinking about running and he was criticizing Trump. He goes, I take him behind the woodshed and pound him. I don't know if you remember that that line. You know what I mean? That's that's how I'd handle him. Uh, 
And so I wouldn't be surprised uh, if, I mean, it's either he lost control and said shut up or he was looking to say shut up, if you follow what I'm saying. And, uh, but... Uh, when when you do, you know, when you do prep for stuff like this, you do sort of game out the scenarios of what you're going to have to respond to. And if he had, you know, any kind of, you know, sort of sensible debate prep team, they would have said, and everyone expected Trump to come out swinging and trying to... Um, really control the narrative because in the last couple of days, the narrative has not been favorable for him. So how Trump, what does Trump do when things aren't going well for him? He changes the subject Mm -hmm. and he tries to control the narrative. And frankly, your colleagues in, in, you know, the press corps, I mean, I, I know, you know, you don't think of Jake Tapper or what have you as a colleague, but you know, they, they, for the most part, it works every time. So he keeps doing it. And so this time he just couldn't stop himself. But if you remember in 2016, he had a very bad debate performance and then he had a good one. And for people who didn't know what he was going to be like as a president, but didn't like Hillary, that's all they needed in some cases. Um, But I also have seen like a a poll done by not exactly a liberal bastion, uh, CNBC did a poll and they found that 2%, 98% of the people who watched that debate have not, didn't, it would, will not change their vote. Oh. 2%, 2% of viewers of that debate. Um, again, this is a, a poll. I, I, I can't remember the end, yeah. but it was, you know, it's, it's not trivial. It's, it's people. And there were uh, Trump supporters. I, I want to say in that particular poll, uh, about 34%, were self-identified Trump supporters, so which kind of tracks with his support nationally. So, and in that sense, it was a pretty decent poll in terms of tracking uh, his national support. So, that being said, I just want to like remind people, you know, a majority of white voters. <laughs> something I say on your show every time: a majority of white voters will vote for the Republican nominee, or has historically done so. So, you know, I'm, you know. I am sort of bracing for for uh, those folks to to keep keep sticking with their with their guy. I, I'll be more specific for this moment, and a majority of white voters will vote for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And let's move. Let's just just call for what it is, because what he did on Tuesday. Samina was a violation of all the rules and regulations that we're supposed to adhere to. So a majority of white voters are saying we're okay with voting for, with someone who agrees to a set of rules and then breaks the rules right in front of our face and then cries like a little baby when the moderator tries to get him to follow the rules. So you really have to do a psychological analysis of the white voters who are voting for Donald Trump. Like, what do you believe in? Do you believe there should be no rules? Are you anarchists? So are you nihilists? Go ahead. So here, I mean, again, I've said some version of this before, but the rules don't apply in in the minds of people like Donald Trump and his supporters, and frankly, obviously a majority of white voters, the rules don't apply to them. 
this is, you know, it, rules are for chumps. Uh, he doesn't pay taxes because he's smart. Um, this is, and, and he's been doing this for years. And frankly, if you're someone who is a marginalized person, a person of color, you know that rules apply to you or they're, the, the, the punishments are meted out for people like you, but not for other folks. So this is not news to a lot of people. And Donald Trump, in some ways, is uncovering, is, is sort of ripping off that um, mask, if you will, or the hood, if you will, um, the illusion of white innocence. And it, it is a myth. It is, it's, a, it's a myth that persists. It's, it's part of the, um, you know, part of the concept of American exceptionalism, this goodness that people are, have to um, hang on to. And Donald Trump is is embarrassing, but he is also fundamentally evil. But he's part of a, a tradition of evil that has persisted that people just they were it was just more polite. Dick Cheney is not a good guy. He just wasn't this coarse and this crude. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I might argue that Dick Cheney was ultimately uh, more diabolical than Donald Trump uh, because Dick Cheney got us involved in two wars, whereas Donald Trump, I, I don't, I'm thinking right now, has he gotten us involved in wars? Before I say he hasn't, I just want to make sure I haven't forgotten something in the last three years. So I can make the argument that Dick Cheney is more diabolical and evil than Donald Trump. So, so the way uh, I'll frame it is Dick Cheney, you know, is a part of the military-industrial complex, Halliburton, yada, yada, yada. That's a, a story that everybody knows. So he is good at waging a war against people, frankly, who look more like me, and taking troops abroad. Donald Trump is activating militias domestically. Mm -hmm. There is a war going on. Yes. It's, it's just not the war that we're used to. All right, we'll get into that. Uh, before I leave the debate, I will return uh, to white supremacy and Donald Trump and that discussion. But before I do that, uh, the news broke today, and today is Thursday, October 1st, uh, that uh, Donald Trump uh, has said that if they change the rules, this is hilarious. I, I mean, this is, this is dark comedy. They had rules set up, which Donald Trump totally broke. So now the, the debate commission, which is... Like, as with anybody who deals with Donald Trump, can't help but look bad. Uh, the, the, the debate commission is saying, all right, we're going to change the rules to somehow or other keep Donald Trump from breaking them. And now Donald Trump is announcing, I won't participate in the debate because you're changing the rules. You didn't abide by the rules that you agreed to in the first place. What do you care if they change the rules? You're not going to comply with them anyway. This is such a farce, Amina. It's, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. Your thoughts on Donald Trump, whether you believe Donald Trump will actually make good on his threat not to participate in the debate. I, as I was saying to you when we before we got on the air, it is <laughs> this, this will be a day in history where Donald Trump was giving up prime time uh Meet, you know, prime a prime time audience like that will be historic. Um, I, I don't believe that he is going to follow through on that threat. It is interesting to me, though, to look at it from the Biden campaign's perspective. I doubt that if they if say if they said we're not doing debates and they said we're just going to do a town hall with with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, whatever the setup is. 
that will potentially not give them the audience that essentially a cage match will. I mean, this is like wrestling. This is like pro wrestling. That's what this is. And um, it, that, that is going to be hard, alluring, unfortunately, to both campaigns to some degree. Because it will, it will bring in viewers. Mm-hmm. Does it? Does it create any substantive conversation that people can make decisions on? No, mm-hmm. um, but it is. It's unfortunate that that's where we're at, and that's how things are are cast and framed. But I, I, I will be, I, I will be generally surprised if if Trump gives that up and doesn't get some other prime time audience in return uh he will not give up the the constant media um coverage absolutely absolutely uh it, it, it it's laughable to think that he would i agree with you a hundred percent and it is now it is like wrestling i've been saying this for a while i've spent i spent the weekend studying pro wrestling uh, donald trump uh was very much involved with the in the world wrestling federation i haven't done a show on it yet but i will do a whole show dedicated to this uh he did all, all appearances with uh vince mcmahon at various vince mcmahon is the head of the world wrestling federation uh various appearances down uh in the early part of the this century uh, uh, and uh, part of his rise in popularity was due to his participation with wrestling. So, yes, he learned from the, the masters of the game and he's putting it to use. That was a wrestling show that we saw on Tuesday, Samina. Yeah, absolutely. No, he, he loves that. And I think it, his, his he's not um, everyone wants to sort of look at him as kind of oafish and 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 stupid and he's not he's anti-intellectual but he's cunning and he's manipulative yeah um and he's consistently so and he he there is there's a subset of people that that believe it or fall for it or there's a there they have an interest in um believing it mm-hmm. well so, one thing I, yeah go ahead Finish no no thought. i mean there's this this concept that there's this you know um you know uneducated um, person who's voting against their interests. And that's Donald Trump's face. It's like, no, it's people who (laughs) really could care less about, you know, immigrant rights or reproductive rights and are, um, you know, are very much either. Okay. Yeah. Donald Trump is going to be better for the, the, the rich in America. And they're, they're making that determination. I mean, those are conversations I remember having, um, or hearing people have and, and sort of being like, are we really having this Clinton versus Trump tax plan conversation? Like, is this is this really happening? Are you not hearing the other stuff? Um, but people are that that's a cold clinical calculation that people have had for decades. And so this is this is no different. Um, and I, I think it, it's it's tempting. That's why the Lincoln project, I think like for some, for some folks is so alluring or, or it's, it's like they love dunking on, on Trump, but it's not changing anybody's minds. Well, let's put it this way. I, you've said this a couple times and I just want to come back to it. Uh, like the debate didn't change anybody's minds. Uh, advertisements, promotions hasn't changed anybody's mind. I, I basically agree with you. I have I've kind of like thought that from the moment Donald Trump was victorious, 
2016, even though he didn't win the popular vote. Let's just never forget that point, Samina. Even though he didn't win the popular vote, uh, that he would be ousted. And I felt as though he would be ousted because the people who despised him outnumbered the people who adore him. But I felt those were like two fixed numbers in our country right now, essentially, if you follow me. You know what I mean? If you, de- if you despise Trump in 2016, he's done nothing over the last four years, to put it mildly, to get you to like him. And if you adore him in 2016, he's done nothing um, to, to change your opinion. Uh, and the uh, the Democrats have, have done nothing to convince you of otherwise. So uh, to me, it's just like, well, f- the circumstances are a little different. You win on the margins. And I just thought that would work for the Democrats this time. What's your thought on that? Yeah, so it's interesting because, and this is something I kind of wanted to, to touch upon, is what the strategy has been to address those margins and really energize the base. I think the Biden campaign has made it really clear that their focus, especially throughout the convention, is is bringing those um, Republicans, independents, and, and, and not really thinking so hard about who makes up the core of the Democratic Party and who are the, the, the groups that are, are more reliably Democratic. Uh, namely, um, you know, the Asian American community and um, Latinx communities and and black voters. So I feel like in in that in those instances, there's been a lot written about, say, Biden's challenges and lack of resources um, dedicated to um, Latinx voters. And, uh, you know, Julian Castro's talked about that. Lincoln Project apparently is partnering with some folks, I want to say in Texas, on this very issue because of that. Um, I know that um, there's a woman named, I believe her name is Alita Garcia, just joined the Biden campaign specifically on this issue. And so there's there's some things that I think, um, you know, are concerning because when you sort of don't <laughs> reach out to those folks, they, they don't necessarily feel like, oh, I have no choice. I have to do this. No, their choice is to stay home. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and especially when you have COVID and you've got in, in so many states, it just like Texas announced something, Governor Abbott just announced something, and I just saw it flash. Uh, and again, it's just another voter suppression tactic. Um, the, what happened in Georgia with Stacey Abrams, um, you know, and, and and her election, that all of those tactics, those are like, you know, I, and then going back all the way to 2000 to Bush versus Gore. Yeah. These are all, you know, part of a potential Republican playbook. You know, we, we already have um, Shelby versus Holder. We've got voter ID laws. And I, I the last time I checked, it was 34, it might be 35 states which means that it, you make it difficult for people to, you know, actually access the polls. Um, you have a lot of, uh, you know, people threatening. There was a, a report of a, a a Trump poll watcher in Philadelphia who was mm-hmm. turned away. She said she was paid by the Trump campaign 
and she was turned away because she wanted to actually come in and obviously intimidate voters. So, I mean, they're they're going to try every tactic. And then the, the last piece, which, you know, you may have touched upon, which is using the courts. Yeah. Uh, and, and then there was the other piece that where the GOP has been in discussions with GOP controlled legislatures in states like Wisconsin to say, okay, if we need to throw it to, you know, like we're going to use every trick in the book. And so I, I don't necessarily, I'm not seeing the level of strategy um, and, and, and t- like anticipating that from the Democrats. I don't think uh, they realize how bad it could get. Yeah, the uh, what you were talking about with in uh, the state legislators, in other words, they would uh, pass a law dictating the electors from their state how they should vote, uh, which would be (laughs) a way of circumventing even more the popular vote. Right. Uh, And uh, that's a frightening thought. The Atlantic, there was an article in the Atlantic on that. If folks want to read more about that, if you want to be freaked out even more than you already are. But that's Uh, what I'm talking about. There has to be like a what's the. What is the um, the strategy to deal yeah. with a um, Trump is trying to do his part in in delegitimizing mail in ballots? He has he has done that pretty effectively. Like he he has gotten all those folks riled up, thinking that this is a like his people are motivated to go be voter in, intimidators, basically, and um, are. There, there have been several polls that have said, "How are you going to vote?" And they are, and there's a definite partisan split between Republican voters and Democratic voters. Democratic voters are preferring mail-in ballots. Republican voters are going to vote in person. Now, I personally am going to. I am thankfully, uh, you know, healthy and have you know access to masks and <laughs> hand sanitizers. I'm going to go vote in person early. Mm-hmm. So. But that being said, I'm also in the state of Illinois. Like I, I the, the the number of voter suppression tactics they exist here. Let me be clear: I experienced them on March 17th uh, when I took my parents to vote. Um, I don't um, anticipate the same. I'm not going to get the Philadelphia Trump campaign uh, poll intimidator uh, in my face um, in Illinois. Well, you might. Who knows? Because Philadelphia is a Democratic city. I'm surprised that they're trying that there. Uh, oh, because where are <laughs> I, I don't know which. This was obviously an early polling site. That's yeah. if, if Trump is going to lose Pennsylvania, it's going to be in the cities. Yes, absolutely. By the way, I, I was I was just. I had a flashback. I mean, I'm going I'm to move back to the, the campaign. But when Trump sent those those MAGA hatters to intimidate people at the polling place, I just had a flashback t- uh, to Rom's first congressional campaign. And I don't know if you were in Chicago, uh, Samina, but Rom uh, cut a deal with Daley. Daley brought him in to replace uh, Rod Blagojevich. This is ancient history who was moving on to run for governor. And uh, Rom ran for his congressional seat. And they brought in these behemoths who were... <laughs> into the 5th Congressional District uh, to pass out palm cards for Rahm. It was an attempt to intimidate. And so this is not... The, these suppression tactics... 
oh, that yeah. Trump is employing are classic Chicago machine tactics. Oh, I is, mean, people threw out my sign. People threw out my signs. There was yeah. uh, there was a, a committeeman in the forty seventh ward. Um, sorry, what is it? Paul Rosenfeld. He's standing at a pole, clearly, you know, not standing where he's supposed to, trying to intercept people as as they walk into the the polling place. And he's the committeeman. So yeah. what are the election judges going to say? Nothing. So, yeah, no, I'm 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 talking about the kind of like armed militias. Yeah. Um, no, no. Chicago is wrote the playbook on, you know, stealing elections. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the, the, the level of armed uh, voter intimidation that I, I think you you saw it. there was there was a group of folks in Georgia. I'm not Georgia, yeah. I'm sorry, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, I last week that were um, trying to intimidate voters. So it's the call is going out and they're answering it. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, go back to something you mentioned. I made a note of it. Uh, you were talking about the the uh, the core voters in the Democratic Party, and you mentioned Asian Americans. Uh, and this is something I'd love to hear your thoughts on. Kamala Harris's presence on the ticket. We talked about her a lot. Uh, during the summer and the fall when the debates were going on. haven't had you on the show since she was uh, announced. God, it's been a while since you've been on the show. Uh, it's since uh, she joined the ticket. What's your general thoughts about the role Kamala Harris will play uh, for Joe Biden? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm sure you've talked about um, the how it's energized um, black voters and black women in particular. And you know, I've read now I've now seen, I don't know, a dozen think pieces written by um, Indians and South Asians on what her candidacy means. And what I think is um, some folks are touching upon this. And you and I talked about this briefly before and have references before the GOP was really going after and has been really going after Indian Americans as a voting block and as a donor block. Um there was a very uh, large rally that was done in New Jersey in 2016 um, for Trump um, by, uh, by a guy who actually is based in Chicago, a physician out in, I want to say, in Oak Brook. And he started this Republican Hindu coalition and huge organization. The rally was massive. They had Bollywood stars there. It was a it was a huge production. And it was very, um, you know, you had people in the audience saying, you know, we'll get our H-1 visas, we'll get visas faster, green cards faster. Um, Clearly that has not happened. Um, So, but that being said, the GOP has been working on that community um, for a while. And Trump has cultivated a friendship um, with Modi and who is very much a Trump-like figure in India. And he was recently re-elected. He was re-elected last year. And as soon as he started, he, he was re-elected, everything, he was known for being Islamophobic, known for doing all these things. He felt like he he now had a mandate to do some of the stuff that he had been wanting to do and his base wanted him to do. You know, the, the essentially putting... Kashmir, a Muslim majority state under martial law, doing essentially their versions of a, um, you know, a registry type law, Muslim registry, um, a kind of uh, a Muslim, their version of a Muslim ban, all of the things that um, Donald Trump did here. And 
you've seen in India for, for many years now, extrajudicial killings, lynchings, um, at, you know, they're, they're called locally, in um, that are uh, targeting people who they think are Muslim or are Muslim. And so this has been going on for many years. And even just this week, there was a, a major case. It might have been today or in the last 24 hours. There was a huge uh, case where um, a mosque was destroyed. Um, and it, it sort of was like seen as a flashpoint in the modern era of, you know, sort of the Islamophobia that's that's swept India. And all of those uh, people who were uh, being charged with bombing this mosque were um were acquitted so this is like this is a huge thing and how it ties to the u.s is that um that political party the bjp has a u.s outpost called the overseas friends of the bjp the founder of that group his son is on the biden campaign staff his name is amit johnny he was originally, this is this is what really outraged folks. He was in charge of Muslim outreach. You picked the son of the founder of essentially India's GOP and is affiliated with India's KKK to be in charge of Muslim outreach. And when Muslim groups said, no, no, you don't, you can't do this, what did they do? They could have gotten rid of him, but they didn't. They gave him a promotion. Now he's in charge of Asian American Pacific Islander outreach. So he covers Muslim outreach and all these other groups. Um, so that's a real, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's a real problem, to say the least, that you have this infiltration of this ideology, frankly, in both parties. Um, I've written, and uh, with Arthi Walker Pedagodla, who's um, an Oak Park Village trustee, we wrote a, an article about the spread of Hindu fascism in the U.S. Another adherent of that is Tulsi Gabbard, Raja Krishnamurthy. These are folks who have been asked to speak, who have, um, you know, most of their um, South Asian Indian support comes from folks who um, are aligned with that, ide you know, ideology. And so... <laughs> Two year, was it two years ago? Actually, two years ago, right about this time, there was a huge event in, in Illinois. It was called the World Hindu Congress. And all of these um, Indian, and, and Tulsi Gabbard is, is um, you know, a Pacific Islander, she's not Indian, but uh, were invited to speak. And people said, no, you can't speak there because this is a, a group that is violent, that is promoting violence against Muslims. So they all, one by one, said, okay, I won't go. Even Tulsi Gabbard wrote a letter saying, I will not attend. She, she actually, because I, I, I knew, she knew she was running for president. So she said, I'm not going to go. People begged Raja Krishnamurthy to not go. He still went. And, it, like, those are the kinds of things that you're like, oh, why should I care what's going on in India? Why should I care about Kamala Harris being picked as vice president? It, it, it's not a slam dunk, but there is something... It, there is an impact, and it it is there is a slight dent in that um, I guess that that attempt to bring more Indians into the GOP. It, it's not a it's not as like an easy uh, a trans. I, mean, I think the majority, if you look at all the demographers, most Indian Americans vote Democratic, but there has been this you know the way one of my 
friends put it, he said, for some people, Trump had them at, I hate Muslims. Yeah. And he's an Indian American, you know, uh, second generation, you know, same, same heritage as, as Modi from the state of Gujarat. It's, there's a, there's a base for Modi slash Trump voters. And not only that, the overseas friends of the BJP has people in India calling Indian Americans in the U.S. to vote for Trump. Mm. That's that's happening. That's really happening. So there is a these aren't, uh, um, you know, sort of siloed. Well, in, in general, and I struggle with this, this confession I'm about to make. Even though I've been pre- predicting that Trump would lose, uh, I've I've been predicting that since the moment he, he won. I do realize that my notion that essentially is that love beats hate, and that Trump, when you boil it down to, is politics of hate, and Joe Biden, as feeble as uh, his outreach may be essentially is trying to counter that. And there's just a part of me, uh, Samina, that's been dealing with Chicago for so long that doesn't believe that love uh, can beat hate. Uh, Ramana Hussein, your good friend, comes on this show every Friday, and we've talked about this, we've joked about this. It's like a Beatles song, you know? Uh, Can the Beatles prevail in the face of Donald Trump? And... I struggle with, I mean, just listening to what you were talking about, like just appeals to hatred of Muslims, motivating voters, you know, uh, Indian American voters, perhaps to vote for Donald Trump. Um, And then I watched what he did on Tuesday with his, uh, it, it was a shout out to the Proud Boys. That's what it was. Yeah. And they took it that way and they're running with it. And somehow or other, if we don't watch it, we're going to normalize it. I I worry. Uh, To me, all the differences I have with Joe Biden pale in comparison to the notion that a man who openly campaigns on hate will win a majority of the vote. I struggle with this. What's your sense of this? Do you think that uh, Trump's blatant appeals to white supremacy will bring in more voters than it alienates? Uh, Yeah, I do. And, you know, the GOP has done it before, and it's worked before. Um, So... (laughs) This isn't new. I mean, what's a, what is the Southern strategy? Mm-hmm. This is the Southern strategy writ large, right? I mean, this is not new. And so uh, that's what I, I think is, you know, it is, for, for, from my perspective, it is scary in the way that I look at it sort of globally and think, okay, in India, Muslims are being lynched. And they're being, um, you know, put, you know, their rights are being taken away, and other uh, marginalized folks. You've got um, camps in 
in China. They're destroying, you know, mosques and other things. They're, they're literally reprogramming and harvesting organs of Muslims in China. There, uh, there are people, in the Rohingya, who are being, uh, um, you know, systematically targeted in, in Myanmar. And so, and then I think of, uh, of the United States, and I think about my parents coming here in the early 60s. And I'm thinking, like, they left a country which, you know, economically the opportunities weren't there. Um, but, and there was, you know, this sort of animosity towards Muslims in India it wasn't zero, but it wasn't like this. And I just think, you know, if, 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 if you are a, if you are my parents today, where do you go? Where do you go? You, there's nowhere for you to go. There's very few places for you to go. There's anti, um, anti, uh, immigrant sentiment in, in the UK and in Europe. It's across the board. And if you go, even if you go to the Middle East, my parents being Muslim doesn't, doesn't mean anything. In, in the Middle East and in, in Saudi Arabia and in countries like that, uh, South Asians, Indians are looked down upon. We're not, like, we're not seen as real Muslims. So it's, it's, uh, it's thinking of it in that way, I, it, it's, it, it gives me pause. It makes me think like this, there are people who, who genuinely feel like um, they are, they are refugees, which where with nowhere to go, uh, and it's it is disheartening to say the least. Uh, but and, and uh, I don't know if you saw it, uh, Trump's rhetoric in Minnesota today, uh, on, uh, picking on Elon Omar, uh, the crowd chanting "Lock her up." Uh, but I still, having said all this, as bleak as this conversation has been, I'm sticking to it. I'm st- I'm sorry. I, Romana makes fun of me, but love will conquer hate. Okay, and uh, this is just such a profound moment for the United States. It really is. I mean, I I I know that there are people who are. Um, disgusted by this rhetoric and don't agree with it um, uh, and are um, how should I put this no it's wrong but what I don't know and um, I'm not, I don't have a lot of confidence in this is how many people are going to do something about it and you know, there was the whole after George Floyd and um, now with Breonna Taylor, there's a lot of people who shared things on um, social media. But I, um, I I still keep seeing the stories of people being um, pushed out of organizations. Um, the Like just even today, I saw a story about a, a staffer at Loyola University who, who was in charge of diversity initiatives, who... Um, has resigned. I mean, this isn't just Trump, right? It's not just at the political, at the federal presidential level. This is a, a systemic issue. This is a, uh, a global issue. And I, I'm not, um, I'm seeing a lot of people who think it's um, sort of one issue, one area, or like, you know, sort of uh, isolated. And I see it as um, more global. That being said, I do think there are people who have ideas and are working towards them and are organizing people. And I 
Um, and I'm like, I, those are the people that give me hope, but <laughs> sort of the people who are generally have the power and the resources they have, they have shown themselves to, to either want, they want their Instagram feed to look good, but they're not um, committed to, to making the changes that, that are needed. And, and that's, that, that's, that is, you know, frustrating is a, is a sort of a polite world word, but it's, it's really maddening. All right. Uh, let's, let's uh, close this down by shifting gears and you put on your strategist hat. Uh, as we speak, uh, Amy Cody Barrett's nomination uh, is going to the Senate. Uh, Mitch McConnell says he's going to call it for a vote uh, before the election. At least that's what he's saying now. Who knows? You know, he's capable of changing his mind, as we've seen. Uh, Donald Trump on Tuesday was uh, urging America. He, he's proud of this, and he's, he thinks it's, uh, it's going to get him votes. He's going to win votes. Every person that listens to my show on a regular basis was outraged by this. What do you think the Democrats should do in the Senate uh, regarding filling Ruth Bader Ginsburg's vacancy? Uh, <laughs> I mean, this is there. There, this is the the. Um, there's really not a lot for the Democrats in the Senate to do. Um, I mean, they can, you know, kind of make speeches, but I, I really feel like this is, this, the die is cast. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. This is not, I'm not, I'm not feeling real optimistic today, Ben. Yeah. Um, but th this is bigger than, the Senate, this is bigger than the Supreme Court. This goes back to how this issue is, is the strategy is handled, you know, in clinics all over the country, um, in, in state legislatures, in, in organizing it. And it's, it's the fact that we're relying on the Supreme Court mm -hmm. for something like this is just, it's just bad strategy. Um, and, there are some some things that we can do in the event of a Biden administration and a Senate majority. But I think, you know, this is this Mitch McConnell is going to do what his, you know, the Mercers or whoever the, the billionaire oligarch, um, you know, arch conservatives are going to ask him to do. Uh, and it's they're, they're going to push it through. Um, I thought the same thing with Kavanaugh. Does it mean that people shouldn't fight? You know you should fight because you because you don't want people to think that somehow that this isn't uh, this is okay. Um, so you know, for the, the the senators to not to like just lay down, let it happen. I think it's going to happen because that is <laughs> Mitch McConnell is knows what his job is, and he's you don't have to like him, you don't have to agree with him, but he he knows how to keep his caucus going and marching forward and he did the same thing with Kavanaugh and he's going to do it again yeah I think uh, the votes are there for him I think that's obvious uh, I like uh, before we did the interview I was reading uh, about uh, what the Democrats in the Senate did they forced a vote somehow or other they got it to the floor on uh, health care 
And and by the way, people know, listen to this interview, this is a passion of Samina's healthcare. You, we, I've had you on the show where all we talked about was healthcare. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and I'm sitting there, one of the things, there were so many things I found frustrating and upsetting about Tuesday's debate. But one of them is listening to Donald Trump I mean, I don't even know if I'm doing justice to what he was doing by calling it a lie about his health care plan, which there is no health care plan. There's never been a health care plan by Donald Trump uh, other than to get rid of Obamacare because he despises Obama. Yeah. Uh, And his members of his cult despise Obama. And so you want to get rid of a health care plan because Obama had something to do with its passage. Even though this, it deprives people of health care. Right. Samina, it's madness. It's yeah. freaking madness. Well, the Democrats, I don't know if you saw this today, they had a vote uh, on the floor, and I think five Republicans actually joined them because they're worried, five Senate uh, senators up for re-election, they're worried uh, that uh, health care be, could be used against them. Let's... Tr- try to end this show on a hopeful moment because this is something concrete. This is not an appeal to hate or love Samina. You know what I mean? This is just like a base pragmatic appeal. You need health care. Right. Do you think this could be a winning issue for the Democrats in November? And that is something that worked in 2018. And I, I will say, I know I am not thrilled that Biden has been, you know, reticent to sign on to something like Medicare for all. But the fact that he is willing to uh, talk about the public option and tried to talk about it for a second (laughs) before he got cut off by Donald Trump is is not a solution, but it is a a move in in a direction that is more positive. You know, there will be more access. Again, it's not what I was fighting for it's not what I, we talked about when i came on your show but um that is the that's the kind of stuff that people do do think about and and it is does cro- cut across all demographics everybody needs health care yeah. um but again the and so that is an important thing to bring up especially in these down ballot races the senate races the house races anything like where you know if there's any um you know governorships and state legislatures where they're they're going to expand Medicaid. All of these things, those are a net positive for the Democrats. But again, I think <laughs> there has to be a reminder that Brian Kemp did what he did. Yeah. Um, because he had, well, again, you can't, there's no national secretary of state. There's no national person who's handling um, that. But in some ways that's the Supreme court, but that's, but you know, on this issue, that could be if we won the Senate. So let's if you really want a positive, if Donald Trump steals the election, it will. He still probably couldn't steal every single Senate seat. <laughs> right. Yeah. That would be harder to do. Uh huh. And the Supreme Court is not going to weigh in on Susan Collins versus Sarah Gideon. Right. So like. So we might we might have we might have Trump stealing the election and a, a Democratic majority in the Senate. So that that will like I think Susan Collins is in trouble. I'm amazed at some of the uh, that Mike Espy 
in Mississippi is as close as he is. Yeah. Jamie Harrison in South Carolina. I mean, some of these, um, Amy McGrath, I, I, I've said this to you before. She is just, they're, they're throwing money at her because they think it's keeping Mitch McConnell busy. It's He's throwing money at Mark Kelly. He's trying to take Mark Kelly in Arizona down. I mean, there's nothing distracts Mitch McConnell. <laughs> I don't know why they think that's a, a good strategy. She she does not need the money, but some of these other races, I'm I'm actually really um, uh, surprised that some of them are as tight as they are. Yeah, that no. gives that gives me some. Hope. All right, well uh, that would be something. It, that would be if Mike Espy won, he would be the first black senator from Mississippi. Then I since I think 1880 is what I read. Yeah. 1880. Yeah, no. I, I, if Mike Espy wins, uh, one of my other guests, Monroe Anderson, got so carried away, he predicted the Democrats that Biden would win Alabama, which I've been teasing about relentlessly ever since he's sticking to it. Uh, you haven't gone so far as to predict Mike Espy would win in, Minis- uh, in Mississippi, but if Mike Espy wins in Mississippi, then this is a landslide, Samina. Yeah. Okay? This is... That means that the Democratic voters got out and voted. And if that happens, Donald Trump is gone, uh, even with uh, his allies like Brian Kemp doing whatever they can. Ron DeSantis in Florida doing everything. Oh, they Ron can. DeSantis. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Do no, whatever no. they can. You're right. But I'm going to tell you something. Just like in 2008, if that happens, the GOP are going to go into their bunker <laughs> and, and they'll be ready. Yeah, uh, let's just end it on this point. If the Democrats get another chance, like they did in 2008, they cannot follow the Barack Obama, Obama playbook. No, they can't. They can't. And they, if they, they have got to be proactive. They cannot promote this illusion, this delusion of a bipartisan spirit existing in the Republicans. I think that was a huge mistake, Samina, in 2008, 2009. Yeah. Yeah, it it was obviously um, a miscalculation, to put it um, politely. And I think, again, it's a... It is is hard to sort of, like, get people to think that, like, to, to convince... The concept of bipartisanship sounds good. Compromise sounds good until you really say, okay, what does that look like? Like you want. So right now we've got 20 kids in cages is a compromise. 10 kids, Mm -hmm. you know, how many women do you want to die because they couldn't access uh, reproductive services? You know, we've got a hundred, you want 50? Like what is your concept of, a, a compromise when those are the stakes. And that is something that I think I, I'm not time will tell, but that's really the, that's the conversation that we have to have. It has to be honest. This is a, this is a party with that is a, a, a death cult and the deaths aren't on their side. They're on <laughs> the other side, yeah. the other, the wow. Ilhan Omar's, the um, you know the 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 Cory Booker's. I mean, every single um, Maxine Water, every single 
member of Congress that Trump has gone after has been, um, you know, black or, you know, an immigrant or someone who is other. Mm -hmm. It's clear what his base wants and it's clear what uh, a lot of people believe that this country is meant to be white. All right, Samina, we're going to close it down. Tell folks everything they need to know about hand her the mic when they can hear it, where they can hear it, and what will they hear when they listen. Go ahead. Yeah, so thanks, Ben. Um, so we're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and on uh, we've got select clips on YouTube. And our last conversation was actually, since we're talking so much about media, I actually interviewed um, an editor um, from Hachette Books who was the editor for John Lewis, the late John Lewis. Oh, wow. Um, Krishan Trotman, who mm-hmm. her, she herself wrote a series of books called the Queens of the Resistance on um, Elizabeth Warren, Nancy Pelosi, Maxine Waters, and AOC that came out um, uh, earlier this summer. Um, And just sort of talking about how this political moment and how it shows up in the publishing world. Because obviously, if you, (laughs) you can have all the, you know, sort of representation you want, but if the message stays the same, it it really doesn't matter. Um, so discussing that, and that's been a, a kind of a recurring theme is representation and, and having, um, you know, a real, uh, an authentic voice. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's, that, that, that just came out last month. And so, um, I mean, some of the people I talked to very early on, Anse Ufad of New Georgia Project, who co-founded that group with Stacey Abrams, um, you know, and Kat Calvin, who started Spread the Vote, that was our first episode. Her, the entire um, uh, focus of the group is helping folks get IDs to combat voter suppression. So all this stuff is, you know, it's, it's coming to a fore. So listen to uh, the most recent episode or our first couple of episodes. It all, it all relates to the moment that we're in now. All right, Samina, thank you so much for coming on my show. I appreciate it as always. And always uh, great to be here and great to be with you and Dennis. All right. Very good. That's Amina Mustafa. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.